Welcome to At The Organ. Hello, I'm Brent Johnson. In June of 2023, the Organ Media Foundation visited several organs in Massachusetts. The culmination of that trip was multiple days spent in Methuen at the Methuen Memorial Music Hall. This building is home to the 1863 E.F. Volker organ, originally built for the Boston Music Hall. We toured the stops of the organ with Frederick MacArthur, and we got to see inside the instrument, top to bottom, including many of the original pipes from 1863. That full video is available on the Organ Media Foundation's YouTube channel, and it's embedded in the post for this show at attheorgan.com. In that video, Matthew Bellocchio, president of the Board of Trustees for the Methuen Memorial Music Hall and an organ builder at the Andover Organ Company, told us the amazing history of this grand organ. A good deal of that was cut down for the video, but I thought you might want to hear all of it, as Matthew knows the whole story of this instrument. So, here it is from Methuen Music Hall earlier this year. So we're here in Methuen, Massachusetts, and we've come to the Methuen Memorial Music Hall. And Matthew Bellocchio's uh, joined us again. You've uh, been showing us around a lot of projects here, but uh, as a member of the Andover team. However, here you have a different role. What's your job here? I am a trustee of the Music Hall, and I currently serve as president of the Board of Trustees. Okay. So, so I kind of... Uh, Drive the bus. <laughs> you coordinate the concert series and help um, run that? Well, or? we have a, I, I, I did that when I was chair of the programs committee, okay. but when I became president, I couldn't chair a committee. So we, ah. Richard Willette, who's our board secretary, very capably chairs, chairs that committee. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite a job because each year we get a number of requests or a number of suggestions of organists to play for the coming year. Each year, each summer, we do a 15 week series. It usually starts with the last or next to last Wednesday in May and runs until the last Wednesday in August. So it's a 15 week series. The first concert of the series is traditionally dedicated to young artists, uh, usually uh, teenage artists, high school or early college, because we believe strongly that the, the organ has a future as well as a past. And we like to encourage and highlight up and coming talent. So that then leaves us with 14 slots to fill in the ensuing weeks. In the past few years, uh, when the committee meets to, or has met, to um, winnow the names, it seems that lately we have to choose from a list of something like uh, 45 names for 14 slots. So it's a, uh, it's uh, basically, um, each name has about a one in three chance of getting selected. But I tell, I t- I tell people who apply that I, at least that's a, better, that's a better acceptance rate than Harvard or, or Yale. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put links down for everyone who wants to know about the concert series, but let's talk about the organ itself. This is quite the storied instrument here. Yes, we should start in the beginning. Um, Jenny Lind came to Boston, I think it was in the 1840s or 50s, to give a concert. And there was no large concert hall, so I believe she sang in a train shed or something like that. And it was just, there was pandemonium and it was just, you know, it left something to be desired. So a group of affluent Bostonians decided that uh, the city should have a proper concert hall. And they formed a committee 
to uh, raise funds to build a Boston music hall. There were some um, Harvard people involved and they had subscriptions and sold shares and eventually they constructed the music, this Boston music hall. That having been done, it was appropriate that they should have a decent instrument. They had a small organ that uh, I had been built by Thomas Appleton, but it was small and uh, not up to the task and not, not a prestigious instrument. So they decided that they wanted something really spectacular. They uh, considered and interviewed builders from several different countries and they settled on uh, E.F. Volker and company in Ludwigsburg. Yeah, that's, it's curious that they would go to Europe to find an, a builder for this landmark American concert hall. Well, the, the hooks were up and coming and promising, but what is that they say about a prophet is without honor in his, his own... Uh, so so it was, must be better if know, it comes from overseas. You know, yeah. okay. What do the hooks know? They're just the local carpenter's gotcha. son. All right. that, that sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> So they, they, the contract was awarded to E.F. Falker and company in Ludwigsburg. The organ took several years to build. Meanwhile, the, the case was designed by Boston architect Hammett Billings, and it was built by Herter Brothers, a company in New York City. Now, the Herter Brothers, uh, Gustav and Christian Herter, uh, had immigrated from Germany and did very well for themselves. They uh, had a high degree of craftsmanship and artistry. And they ended up building furniture for the fabulously wealthy. They ended up, uh, the Astors, the Vanderbilts had Herter Brothers furniture. It was really something to behold. So they took Hammett Billings' design and ran with it. And the result is this, this, this jaw-dropping uh, piece of workmanship, which is made of uh, American black walnut. Now you have all sorts of allegorical figures, you have the names of the great composers, you have trophies with musical instruments. This was a bit of propaganda. I think the message was that the, the music of the European masters had, uh, had taken hold in the new world in Boston and Boston would bring it to the rest of America. So uh, it was a, when the organ was unveiled, uh, there was a, a curtain in front of it and uh, Herr Walker was improvising and then the music grew louder and the lights, they had the, the, one of the first, uh, I think, uh, arc spotlights. Uh, the, the light went up, the curtain dropped down and there was wild applause when people saw this. It's, it's still today, it's, uh, it's quite something. Um, all, all of the trustees, we, we joke among ourselves that we can always tell who the newcomers are because their jaws are wide open when they walk in the door. Yeah, it's quite a sight as you come in. Oh yeah. To experience uh, it for the first time. Yeah. It's, so anyway, the organ was, was dedicated in uh, November of 1863. And that was at the height of the Civil War. That was just a few months after the Battle of Gettysburg. But this was uh, a great occasion in, in, in Boston. So it was uh, dedicated to great acclaim and played for concerts. But as the years went on, you know, today's musical celebrity is tomorrow's musical has been, the organ gradually started to fall out of favor. And also it had some mechanical issues. Uh, with the mechanism was slow and uh, the organist could, had the worst seat in the house, that beautiful recessed console, you know, the sound passes over your head, you really can't hear it. 
And there were tuning issues too because the divisions were laid out helter-skelter on different levels, so with temperature variations, it was never possible to have the organ in tune. It and uh, one organist joked that, uh, well, he, one organist who played for a church service that was, uh, for which the music hall was rented on Sundays, he joked that he had to come in on Saturday night and push down the keys so the music would come out on Sunday mornings. So uh, around the 1880s, a new musical ensemble was started, and it was called the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And the backers of the Boston Symphony Orchestra gradually acquired the majority of shares of ownership in the music hall, because they were shareholders. And it was decided that the growing orchestra needed more room on stage, and there was this organ that was not used that much that was taking up valuable space. So after they had acquired a majority of uh, shares for the corporation for the music hall, they decided that the organ would be removed. The organ partisans took them to court to try to block it, but lost. So in 1884, when the organ was only 21 years old, it was evicted. Um, it was removed from the stage. Fortunately, uh, a wealthy trustee of the New England Conservatory uh, purchased the organ for $5,000. Now, to put things in perspective, when the organ was built, it had cost around $60,000, which would probably be the equivalent of $6 million today. So a quick fact check. I know that Matthew was just uh, making things up and grabbed a number out of the air. Um, but in truth, $60,000 in 1863 would be 1465000 in November of 2023. So he purchased the organ for $5,000, had it crated, and his intention was to one day donate it to New England Conservatory uh, after they had built a concert hall at the conservatory. So he had a shed built behind the conservatory and the organ was stored there. 12 years later, or 12 or 13 years later, he died and the organ was still in storage and it was auctioned off uh, as part of his estate, settle, settle his estate. And Mr. Searles uh, found out that the organ was going to be auctioned and thought that it would be a shame to you know, have such a, a, a well-known instrument be scattered to the wind, this identity lost. So he decided that he'd have one of his men bid on it, and he authorized him to bid up to $5,000. And he completely forgot, as, as Searles told the story to uh, Henry Morton Dunham, who was one of his organist friends, who later related it in his autobiography, Searles said, okay, you can bid up to uh, $5,000, and completely forgot about it. And then one day, um, his, his agents appeared, and he thought, oh, who got the organ? And his agent replied, you did. And he said, and what did I pay for it? $1,500. Oh. <laughs> so Searles proceeded to uh, take ownership of it. It was transferred to railroad cars and stored in a siding at Bethuen until a suitable hall could be built. Edward Searles, who uh, built this hall and saved this organ, was born on a farm here in Methuen, not far from here, on July 4th of 1840. 
1855, when Searles would have been 14 or 15 years old, uh, E and G. G. Hook installed their Opus 186 at the Baptist Church that was not far from this family farm. And this teenage boy was very interested in what was going on and watched them bring in all the parts and watched them assemble it and helped carry things in. And when the organ was all together, he was more than happy to pump the bellows for the tuner. So he got bitten by the organ bug. And then I think he studied piano and he studied organ in Boston. He ended up at one point, uh, he was teaching organ in Maine. But his main source of income is he went to work for uh, an interior decorating company in Boston and um, grew somewhat wealthy uh, with this work because they would work for wealthy clients. When the company closed in, I believe, 1875, he then went to work for Herter Brothers, who coincidentally had built this case. <laughs> and uh, you know, so he went from one decorating company to an even better one. And at one point he developed some health issues and decided that he would take a trip out west where the climate was drier. And they said to him, oh, if you're going to be going out west, would you be willing to visit some of our clients just to drop in and say, hello, how are you doing? How are you enjoying our furniture? So as part of this, he went to San Francisco, to Knob Hill, uh, to pay a visit to Mary Sherwood Hopkins. Mary Sherwood Hopkins was the widow of Mark Hopkins, who was one of the four principals of the Central Pacific Railroad. Mm. And they had built a, a mansion on Knob Hill in San Francisco. So um, young Searles went in to pay his visit to her. And uh, she was quite taken with the young man. And at the time, she had property, family property she had inherited in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and was building a mansion there so she could spend time in Massachusetts. And she hired him to supervise the interior decoration and, and the finishing of that mansion. And so they worked together on that and they gradually grew closer. She proposed to him and he initially declined. I should point out that she was 22 years older than he, but she took a fancy to this artistic young man. Eventually, a few years later, he relented and said yes, and they were married in 1887 and had about uh, three and a half happy years together and she died in 1891 here on the farm which had been transformed to an estate in Methuen. She left her entire 20 million dollar estate to Searles. Oh, wow. So here you had a man who had excellent taste and now had the, the money to back it. Searles um, had a number of interests. Pipe organs, because he had been bitten by the organ bug, castles, and stone walls. And uh, now he had the money to uh, indulge his, uh, his fancies. In all of those things. <laughs> indulge in all of those, those, those things, yeah. Uh, he, would, he, had, uh, he would have rooms constantly added to his estate, uh, his mansion. He would have stone walls built during some of the financial panics when uh, uh, people were out of work. He would employ people by building stone walls. So if you go through Methuen, there are a lot of stone walls and you know, crenellated towers. Those are all the signature 
of, of Mr. Searles. Also, uh, Mr. Searles had a pet architect, or house architect, I like to say, which was the English uh, immigrant architect, Henry Vaughan. Henry Vaughan is perhaps best known as the first architect of the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. But he did, and he also uh, did the chapel for St. Paul's School in Concord, New Hampshire, and uh, Groton School in Groton, Massachusetts. Uh, so Searles would, according to uh, description, Searles would get an idea, sketch it down, and then hand it to Henry Vaughan and say, okay, you know, make, make this happen. Uh, and as a result of Henry Vaughan being retained by Searles and Searles living in Methuen, Methuen has the largest collection of architecture and buildings designed by Henry Vaughan. There's the grammar school, what was the high school, which is now the city hall. There are several churches and uh, there was the train station. But the most remarkable building designed by Henry Vaughan was not uh, one of Searle's um, gifts to the city, but it was his own private concert hall. This, this building. So Searles bought the great organ and decided to have it rebuilt and decided to give it a proper home. It took 10 years to design and build and the hall was dedicated in 1909. It seats about 300 people and as I said was designed specifically for the organ just, just to, the to organ. look at it and, and Mr. Searles would sit in the balcony to, uh, to listen to music, hire an organist, or sometimes maybe play it his, on his own. Uh, it has acoustics, has a uh, reverberation of almost four seconds. The organ looks visually spectacular. The room is visually spectacular. Uh, it's just, it's, it's incredibly ornate. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was basically, it was his private concert hall. There were about three or four occasions when he invited, when people were invited in for public concerts. But I say public. But they were um, musicians fr or friends of his or aff other affluent people. He would hire an organist. Uh, the, the average person did not get to um, participate in these concerts. We'll be back to Matthew and more of the story of the Methuen Memorial Music Hall. But I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsors who make our trips to places like Methuen and to meet people like Matthew possible. The Oregon Media Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We rely on donations to fund our operating. Everything from gas to get us places, the servers that store the audio you're listening to right now, and even the microphone I'm talking into. Fortunately, things like this microphone are one-time expenses, but we want to get out and go visit more organs and bring them to you. So, if you haven't already, I hope you'll consider becoming a sponsor of the Oregon Media Foundation. You can do it quickly and easily by going to organ.media and just click on a level you're comfortable with, and then you can contribute with PayPal and your credit or debit card. If you'd prefer to support us with a check or money order, there's information on that page on how to do that. Thank you for all your support. Let's continue the story of the Methuen Memorial Music Hall. The organ had had many problems. It was the, had a very slow key action. It had some mechanical issues. It had tuning issues when it was in the Boston Music Hall. Uh, so Searles also owned an organ company which occupied the organ factory, the Methuen Organ Company. He had the organ completely rebuilt by the Methuen Organ Company. So they saved the pipes and the case, but the organ received 
new wind chests, new slider and pallet wind chests, a new wind system with new bellows, a new structural frame, new swell boxes, a new detached console so the organist could hear what was going on. So all of that was, all of the walker components were removed, say, for the pipework. Well, the walker pipework was... was, see, was so we just had yes. a completely new organ with walker pipework. The, the walker pi uh -huh. pipework and the Herta Brothers case. Okay. Totally it was the same material. However, the organ had to be re-regulated because the Boston Music Hall sat 2,000 people. And this room seats basically three to 500, depending on how you cram them in. So it's much smaller. You know, people think it's a huge hall, but it's not. It has wonderful acoustics, but it's small. So the organ had to be re-regulated, and it was then uh, rededicated with a concert in, uh, uh, nine, I believe, 1909. When Searle died in 1920, his estate was valued at over $100 million. Wow. <laughs> so after bequests to several relatives, and the, his estate was left to a cousin, the, uh, the residual of his estate went to his business manager. And uh, the business manager only lived a few years before dying. And then it went to a relative of his. And then it passed through several hands. But in 1931, organ builder Ernest M. Skinner bought the property. Now, the reason why, the real reason why he bought the property was not for the hall, although he claimed he was buying it to preserve the organ but it was for the building that was attached to the hall. When Searles first bought this property, right next to the river, there was a woolen mill where wool cloth was processed and made. He had that converted into an organ factory where pipe organs could be built or rebuilt. In fact, uh, during Searles' lifetime, he commissioned the building or rebuilding of 16 pipe organs. Oh, wow. And he, had an, and he owned the organ company. It was called the Methuen Organ Company. So, um, yeah, he had the means to commission pipe organs. He had a company to build them for him. <laughs> so when he acquired the great organ, he hired Henry Vaughan to design this hall, which was adjacent to the organ factory. And there's a narrow wing that juts out the back with an arch that con connected the factory to the, the hall so that they could have prospective customers come to the factory and then go through this second floor passageway, end up in the gallery and be awed hmm. by the instrument. So Ernest M. Skinner bought the property in 1931. At that time, or some years previously, Ernest Skinner had sold controlling interest in his company to Arthur Hudson Marks, a, a wealthy financier. Uh, so basically, Marx called the shots, and Marx saw that Skinner's ideas were becoming outmoded, and Marx brought over Donald Harrison from England to assume the tonal direction of the company, and Harrison and Skinner did not see eye to eye. As a result, uh, Skinner was offered a five-year non-compete agreement which his wife made him sign. Basically, he, would, he could show up at the company if he wanted to or not show up. Uh, he would still be paid, but he would not set up on his own for five years. So uh, during that time, he bought this property. And when word leaked out, he, he swore that he bought it to save the organ and was going to hold concerts. 
and he did hold some concerts here. Um, it's, it's documented, that I think, when one of the AGO national conventions was in the Boston area, he, you know, he sponsored a concert here. But as soon as his five-year non-compete agreement expired, it was suddenly announced that Skinner had gotten the contract to build the organ for the new Washington Cathedral. And it was at the factory, that, uh, in the factory adjacent to the music hall, that the Skinner's Nash National Cathedral uh, organ was built. He, he had formed a new company, Ernest M. Skinner and Son. So Skinner was operating here adjacent to the hall. Uh, in 1942, the U.S. Uh, War Production Board banned the construction of new pipe organs, you know, materials needed to be used for the war effort, not for frivolous things like musical instruments. Skinner's business uh, vanished. He ended up defaulting on the mortgage and uh, having to uh, abandon the property. The following year, the factory, the organ factory, which was wood, uh, burned down. We suspect that some kids probably broke into it and were using candles to light their way. But uh, the hall, thankfully, was saved and only received smoke damage. That was in 1942. In 1946, a group of Methuen citizens acquired the hall and incorporated it as a nonprofit community cultural and educational center, and they named it the Methuen Memorial Music Hall and started raising money to, uh, to restore the property, fix up the property, to fix up the organ. I mean, the building had no heat up until that time. So they had a heating system installed. They had things brought up to code, uh, the, the property cleaned up. They signed a contract with the Aeolian Skinner Organ Company to renovate the organ, make it, uh, because there were a lot of, there were pipes missing from it, uh, things that didn't work. Incidentally, in 1946, after they acquired the hall, they had an introductory concert to help raise money for the hall. And Arthur Howes, who was uh, one of the trustees who was on the music faculty at Philip Sandover Academy, and also ended up uh, heading the uh, organ department at Peabody Institute. He played a demonstration concert, but as a lot of the organ wasn't playing, he got another musician to play as well, and that was a, a, a visiting Australian pianist, Percy Granger, of Country Gardens fame, you know, bum, bum, ba -dum, bum, 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 ba um, to play some piano pieces. And they did two performances and filled the hall, I think, with 500 people each. Wow. You know, nowadays, for fire laws, we're only allowed 300, but they had, <laughs> I, you know, the, the newspaper said over 1,000 people filled the hall for concerts. <laughs> so they, they, they got off to a good start raising money, mm -hmm. and the following year, the renovation of the organ was, was completed. Uh, Donald Harrison, who was in charge of the project, would have liked to have done a lot more things, like replace the console, replace the wind chests, uh, but that was not... Uh, that was not possible because of a limited budget. After the incorporation of the, the Methuen Music Hall and its reopening as a, um, as a public concert venue, Arthur Howes uh, started uh, a summer institute for organists, which was called the um, Andover Organ Institute. Arthur Howes had studied in Germany and had uh, been bitten by the Orgelbewegung uh, bug, or the organ reform movement which led to the revival of interest in music of Bach and Baroque composers. So each year, 
uh, American organists would come here to, uh, to learn about uh, Baroque music, and European artists would come over to play. Marcel Dupre played here, uh, André Marchal, uh, I think Helmut Valka. It, uh, over the years, a who's who of European organists played concerts here, and, and summer concerts were held. This gradually evolved into our summer concert series, where for f 15 weeks we have uh, recitals every Wednesday night. When the hall was acquired by the nonprofit group, uh, it was obvious that they needed to do something to the organ. They called in Donald Harrison, who did a survey of the instrument. When Harrison examined the organ, uh, there were a number of stops that were incomplete or some ranks were completely missing, and the organ uh, was in need of uh, uh, a bit of rebuilding. So Alien Skinner uh, kept the wind chests and the console shell, but made the console movable, put in a new electromatic stop action with a remote combination action. The organ only had a very primitive uh, setter board combination action. They uh, swapped a number of ranks around to conform to Harrison's tonal taste. So while there are a lot of, a lot of the Volker pipes remain, some of them were uh, assigned to new areas or, for example, the, uh, the great principal chorus, the Volker great principal chorus, was, uh, those, that pipework was used for a cornet and then Harrison put in a new principal chorus, also new principals and some flutes on the positive as well. So we're getting a lot of Aeolian Skinner sounds. Yeah, so it's, it's part Aeolian Skinner, part, uh, part Volker, but much of the Volker pipework survives, but uh, some, some of it in, uh, in different places. And I like that the original console is still there, even though it's just purely decorative by this point. Yeah. But we can see exactly what, uh, what Walker intended mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the organ design, which is great. If you want to learn more about this instrument, Barbara Owen has written a fantastic book yes. uh, that has the complete history and story of this. And uh, it's, it's kind of an amazing story of how this organ is still here and playing today. It's called The and Great Organ. And if you organ want to get your own copy of that book, there's a link on the post for this show at attheorgan.com. Also on that post, you can find both YouTube videos we made about this organ. One features a complete walkthrough of the organ with Matthew, and the other includes some of what you've heard today, a tonal tour of the organ with Frederick MacArthur, and a good case reveal opening that I'm very proud of. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, if you want to know more about what we do at Organ Media, then go to our website, organ.media, where you can read about our new radio show, The King of Instruments, which is back on the air here in St. Louis, and is available wherever you are on SoundCloud. You can also find At The Organ on Twitter, or X as we're calling it nowadays, Facebook, and you can find Organ Media on Instagram, Facebook, and The Big X. You can find all of that on our website, organ.media. Make sure you're subscribed to At The Organ on your favorite podcast player. If you can't find us there, let me know. Send an email to info at attheorgan.com. Extra assistance in production of this episode came from Scott Mulder, and my many thanks to Matthew Bellocchio for all his help in getting us to and around Massachusetts. If you want to see more of our video tours of pipe organs, well, make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channels. We have new videos coming out all the time. I'm Brent Johnson. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to At The Organ. We'd love to hear your comments about the show. Send your email to info at attheorgan.com or just go to our website where you can comment on the show. There you can also hear this show again or find back episodes. The address is attheorgan.com.
Add the Organ is a production of the Organ Media Foundation. For more information about supporting the Foundation, go to organmedia.org. Thank you for listening.